0: And our text is in the Old Testament in Psalm 120, and follow it up with 121, Psalm 120, and then the very, very familiar, beloved Psalm 121. The title of the message, In Times Like These, In Times Like These. Let's pray together. Almighty God, the word that you have placed upon my heart, I pray now for what us old timers call the unction, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, to share this word coming directly from you, unblemished by a human messenger. And that we will receive your word into our hearts to the betterment of our lives and to your glory. Forgive us of our sins in the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. My prayer is that the title seizes your heart and that is in times like these. I'm not going to begin to give a laundry list of everything that we are all concerned about today because I know that there are concerns in our heart not only across our nation, but also especially now around the world and the hardship and the suffering that is taking place. I've long subscribed to that motto that says when, when things, you know, seem to be not going right, that we are not to fix the blame, but we are to fix the problem. And I could stand here and you could stand here and talk about all of the ways that things are just not going the way they ought to, but I want to tell you, friend, what it's going to take to make it go like it ought to, amen? To make it go like it ought to. The setting here, and I'm, I'm remiss so many times, One, Psalm 121 is a very favorite passage of mine, but I don't know that I have gone before it and saw the connection between Psalm 120 and 121. So I want to bring us up to speed here with Psalm 120, and that is the author is speaking from a place of distress. He's speaking from a place where he would be saying in times like these that we are living in now and that I am living in now. And he says, in my distress, in my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful, a deceitful tongue. He is in the midst of lies and slander. And then he says, but what shall be given to you? What shall be done to you, you false tongue? And what he is saying here in verse 4, sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree, and that is you will get as much as you give. That's the law of reciprocity in life there. That if you're going to be lying, if you're going to be deceitful, if you're going to slander me, you need to be aware that one day this thing can come back on you. And then I know that verse 5, 6, and 7 will seize our hearts. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kadar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. We are for peace. And there are those around the world who are for war. And it doesn't actually have to be on a battlefield like it's taking place in Ukraine right now that touches all of our hearts. But I'm going to tell you, war has been going on in America for a long time, friends. And that war has moved into the leadership of our nation. And there is waging war against everything that is dear to us as people of God and as people of the United States of America, amen? So there's a war going on and that's all I'm gonna say about the war because friend, I want us to talk about in times like these and the, the old song may come back to you. In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, He's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And then we go to Psalm 121, and what is it that we do in times like these? And it is such a simple flow here, and that is, and the outline is so simple, and that is, in times like these, number one, we are to look up, we're to look up. Verse one and two, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, From whence comes my help, or where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm sure your scriptures have little hints and little subtitles there. These are the Psalms that they call songs of ascent. And to the best we know, even though this was such a long time ago, that these are the kind of songs and meditations and choruses that pilgrims would share in as they made their way to Jerusalem to worship. And it's amazing and always remember in the scripture when it says, and Jesus says, I'm going up to Jerusalem, I'm going up to Jerusalem. He lived in the north of Israel, Jerusalem in the south, but Jerusalem is on a mountain is on a mountain, and therefore, whenever you went to Jerusalem, you went up to Jerusalem. And for them, it's the Mount of Zion, the city of Jerusalem, where the temple is, and in their minds and hearts, the greatest, clearest, most intimate place that they could come into the presence of God. They did not yet have Jesus Christ they did not have that real understanding of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, to get close to God, to get really close to God, you had to go up to Jerusalem. I'll always remember the opportunity, the gift that was given to me to go to Israel. It's been a long time ago now, it was 1990, I think. And that is, we landed in Tel Aviv, which is over more toward the Mediterranean Sea. Jerusalem is to the east of that, and we all load it on buses. And it is amazing. You would think it was one of the mountains of north Georgia or northern areas of our nation. Just as you begin to go on to Jerusalem, you begin an ascent. It's like a winding road. I'm getting really emotional right now. And they began to play over the speakers, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and I'm telling you, it's amazing. I heard this morning that Jay Sekulow has released a new book, and I have tremendous respect for Jay Sekulow, his intelligence, and so many books have written, and it is amazing, it is amazing the importance of this place, Jerusalem, that all the world wants it, amen? The whole world wants this place. And going up that winding road, we were going up to Jerusalem. And so in times like these, the Psalmist says, we need to look up. We need to look up to Mount Zion. We need to look up to Jerusalem. We need to look up where we understand the presence of God is in that temple where the Ark of the Covenant is. I remind you, and I like to go back to the story of the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6 and particularly Verse 15, and this is where the king of Syria has finally trapped Elisha at a place called Dothan, has surrounded him with the Syrian army to take his life. You know that Elisha's servant goes out in the morning to get water for the preparation of their morning, and he sees the Syrian army surrounding them, and he runs back in and tells Elisha, we're dead men. What are we going to do? And that's when Elisha prays for that servant's eyes to be opened and not these eyes, but the eyes of the heart and the spirit. And then the servant saw in the mountains horses and chariots of fire, the armor of God. And I love what one commentary said. At first the servant saw the surrounding army, but when he looked higher, he saw the army of God. Amen. We need to look above the situation, friends. We need to look at it. We need to be serious about it. We need to be concerned about it. We need to be praying about it. But I'm telling you, there is an almighty God above all of this that is going on. And God is still on his throne. So what do we do in times like these? We look up. And we look higher above the phrase. Luke chapter 21 verse 28 Before Jesus goes on For his betrayal and arrest And crucifixion and resurrection This is a shorter version of the Olivet Discourse From the Gospel of Matthew About what the end of time is going to look like And Jesus tells them That when you begin to see these signs He tells them in verse 28 Look up Look up Lift up your heads. Your redemption draws nigh. I'm not one that stands here and tells you it's the end of time because I don't claim that revelation. But I'm here to tell you these are perilous days, friends. These are perilous days, and in these days, I believe that Jesus is telling us in times like these, look up, lift up your heads, because I'm telling you, Jesus does not have to come in that final second coming to make some things right. Friend, Jesus can show up right now and straighten out some mess, amen? And in your life, take this personal, not just a national or an international scene. And you got two choices. In times like these, we can either look up or we can look down. Psalm 42, five has always been a challenging, meaningful verse, when the psalmist says, oh my soul, why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? Meaning depressed and agitated. And I love the King James Version. I love the King James Version. And I heard Norman Vincent Peale, by recording, preach on this passage. And what a voice that he would say, Oh, my soul, why are you cast down? Why are you so disquieted? Hope thou in God, and you will praise him. What do we do in times like these? We look up. We look up and hope in God. I like this story. I pray it's not too big a shift. I look at it. And i reminded of the story of a father with his young son walking down a country road. And they come upon a watermelon patch and the father wants to show his son how cool he is and how cool he was when he grew up. You know, I don't think this is the kind of thing I'd have taught my daughters, you know, but the guy says, son, let me show you what I used to do when I was a little boy. And he climbed the fence and he went up into the watermelon patch and he found a select one And just as he started to pick it up, he looked all around. And just as he started to pick it up, his little boy hollered, Daddy, you forgot to look up. He looked up, he laid down that watermelon, and he came out of that patch. In times like these, let's not forget. The psalmist says, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look up. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Quickly, I want to emphasize, get all of this right. So how do we do in times like these? The second two verses tell us to be still. Verse 3 and 4, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep several weeks ago or months, I don't know, I emphasized that Psalm 4610, which once again is an incredible verse for us, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. And it was in one of the commentaries, very legitimate trustworthy commentary that I came across what is an acceptable, literal understanding of what it means to be still, and it doesn't mean just to stop and sit down, it means to our spirit to settle down. That's what it means, our spirit to settle down. And the literal understanding is take your hands off of it because we can't fix it. We don't understand it. Take our hands off of it. Now, I've got a little note in my margin here that says be careful because I don't want to make anybody mad unless I have to and you deserve it, amen? (laughs) But I think about these commercials, and this is just tongue-in-cheek of promoting cars now that are hands-free driving. And I'm like, okay, you know, and if you went out and bought one yesterday, more power to you. But I just, I just traveled last weekend 800 miles round trip on I-95, and I'll guarantee you I didn't take my hands off the steering wheel or my eyes off the road either, amen? But hands-free driving, okay, that's fine, that's fine. But here's what I want to promote and get this, and that is this passage here is challenging us to hands-free living. Take our hands off of it and put it in the hands of the Almighty God because he will not allow us to be moved. He is ever vigilant. He does not slumber. He does not sleep. He will keep us. And so we can, in this point, let go and let God As my wife was encouraged for the years of her illness, God's got this. And so we turn the wheel of our life over to God, and God is not asleep at the wheel. I go back again, this time to Elijah, the mentor to Elisha. In that first Kings chapter 18, the the showdown on Mount Carmel with the godless pagan Filthy prophets of Baal Where the altar has been set The sacrifice is there The false prophets get to go first As to whose God will strike the sacrifice And consume it with fire The prophets of Baal holler, scream, dance Cut themselves for over half a day And it says at noon, Elijah Malking said to them, where is your God? Is he meditating? Is he busy? Is he out of town? Or is he asleep? Later that afternoon, Elijah takes his sacrifice, soaks it till water is running off of it and down into streams. And then he calls out, Almighty God, show yourself. Hallelujah. Fire fell from heaven as if that were gasoline on that offering and consumed it. In times like these, be still, which doesn't mean to sit down and not do anything. It means within our spirit, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's some songs to remember. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me on. Lead me home. You remember this one? This was probably one of the first little rock-type presentations. Put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. You remember that one? He who steals the waters. Put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. But my favorite, I believe, is put your hand in the nail-scarred hand. Now, I pray that you don't think this is silly or light, but it's because my heart yearns for good things, and I know yours does too, for kindness, for good examples, for wonderful influences, and you say, where in the world is this man going? I'm gonna consult Winnie the Pooh. What do you think about that? Precious stories. Such good, good talking to us about the way life should be. And this is my favorite line. At the end of stories, you see Winnie the Pooh and Piglet. I hope y'all know who these people are. Walking off into the sunset, and Piglet says, Winnie, what, Piglet? Will you hold my hand? And they go off holding hands. Be still. In times like these, take my hand, precious Lord. Take my hand. In times like these, the third thing that it says is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Verse five through six says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Six times in this brief psalm are words indicating watch over, keep you, or guard you. God is telling the pilgrims, those who are crying in times of need in times like these, I'm watching over you. I will keep you. I am guarding you. And I just thought this was such a marvelous point to embrace in our heart. That one of the most awesome, unique insights of the Psalms, of the Psalms, is that the maker of heaven and earth would take the time or the trouble to keep watch over us or to be mindful of us. Pagan, ancient, antiquity, portries, psalms, and cries cry out to gods who do not exist and they don't get an answer. But this psalm says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth and I realize that some may think he is too busy or he doesn't care, but I'm telling you, he takes the time and he takes the trouble to watch over us. That's what Psalm 8:4 says. What is man that you are mindful of him, that you visit him, that you visit him. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I think this works. I looked it up again when I got into my library this morning. Charles Allen, in one of his books entitled You Are Never Alone, tells us that when trouble comes, we need to look at our hand and identify each of the fingers of steps that can help us in times like these. It's so common sense. Number one, he says, we need to get the facts. You know, sometimes we make something out of something that's not something. That was pretty good. I think I'm going to write that down. We make something out of something that's not something. And once we get the facts, we begin to realize what we're dealing with. And I like the story of the little camping club that went out together, and they were camping, and they were settling down, and one of the members took a little walk in the woods, and a little while later came back just breathless. What's wrong? I thought I saw a snake, but it turned out to be a stick. Well, why are you breathless? I picked up a stick that turned out to be a snake. (laughs) I'm telling you, friend, not everything's a snake. Some things are a stick, all right? And I like this, and of the individual that came to near the last days of their life and said, I've lived a life of a lot of troubles and anxieties and fears and worries, and most of it never came to pass. Never came to pass. The second thing is action. You know, there's some things that God expects us to take care of. Tony Evans was good this morning. And he was talking about the favor of God and the blessings of God. And that when we cry out to God and he blesses us, guess what he expects us to do? He expects us to go out and bless somebody else. There's action that we can take. There are things that we can do. The third thing is that of inspiration. Jesus Christ is our greatest inspiration. And there's that cloud of witnesses of Hebrews chapter 12 that are cheering us on. And number four is to trust in God. And number five is to be comforted and assured of eternity. Do not be afraid. The maker of heaven and earth knows us knows our hearts. He takes the time. I don't know if the word trouble is the right word, but He takes the time to keep watch over us and to be mindful of us. And we are never, never, never alone. And He will never, never, never forsake us or leave us. And so do not be afraid. And the last, in times like these, keep on Keeping on Those last two verses, verse 7 and 8. And let me go back one moment. The sun shall not strike you nor the moon by night. In that day, understanding, they tried to connect the dots and knew that sometimes out in the sun, we, people could experience sunstroke, and they felt like that was the action of some kind of evil spirit in the sun. And then in the moon, lunar, lunacy, that sometimes people might lose touch with reality and it was because of evil spirits in the moon. And so when the Bible tells the folks that day, look, God's your shade, friends. You don't have to worry about something that doesn't exist, evil spirits in the sun or evil spirits in the moon. And so we do not need to be afraid. And now verse 7 and 8. The Lord shall preserve you. And once again, here are the words like, I'm going to watch over you, I'm going to keep you, I'm going to guard you, I'm going to preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in, our daily life, from this time forth, and even forevermore. We keep on. God is watching over us. God will complete the work that He has begun in us, and God will receive us into His eternal presence, safe and secure one day. I think I've got the time, and I must read this. It is so heart-touching. This is out of Charles Allen's book, You Are Never Alone. It's a letter discovered that comes out of 1800s, and a little boy named John Todd from Rutland, Vermont. His parents passed as life was so fragile with diseases then. And they had to find a place for him and an aunt that he had never met and lived quite a ways off sent the word that send John to meet. He grew up. He became a minister. And as that aunt began to come to contemplating the advancing of her days, she got in touch with the nephew that she had raised and was concerned about what's the journey going to be? What's it going to be like? This is the letter that was found from John Todd, now an adult. It is now 35 years since I, a little boy of six, was left quite alone in the world. You sent me word you would give me a home and be a kind mother to me. I have never forgotten the day when I made the long journey of 10 miles to your house. I can still recall my disappointment when instead of coming for me yourself, you sent one of your laborers to fetch me. I well remember my tears and my anxiety as perched high on your horse and clinging to the man who came to get me. I rode off to my new home. Night fell before we finished the journey and as it grew dark, I became lonely and afraid. Do you think she'll go to bed before I get there? Oh no, he said reassuringly. She'll sure stay up for you. When we get out of these here woods, you'll see her candle shining in the window. Presently we did ride out in the clearing and there, sure enough, was your candle. And I remember you were waiting at the door that you put your arms close around me and you lifted me, a tired and bewildered little boy, down from the horse. You had a big fire burning, a hot supper waiting. After supper you took me to my new room, you heard me say my prayers and you sat beside me until I fell asleep. You probably realize why I'm recalling all this to your memory. Someday soon, God will send for you to take you to a new home. Don't fear the summons. God can be trusted to do as much for you as you were kind enough to do for me so many years ago. At the end of the road, you will find a love and welcome waiting. You'll be safe in God's care. I shall watch you and pray for you until you are out of sight, and then wait for the day when I shall make the journey myself and find you waiting at the end of the road to greet me." Keep on keeping on, and God will watch over us day in and day out. And then one day, one day, one day, the glory and the light and the brightness of heaven God Almighty Himself will be standing in the door of the Father's house in times like these. Do you have a Savior? Do you have a rock? Do you have that stability? If not, that's why we sing a hymn of invitation. Will you come to Christ? Will you come to His church?